Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The other night when uh, when I was talking, I mentioned that astronomy was a, a big part of my spiritual upbringing and lineage. Uh, and uh, one thing I want to mention as this talk starts is that I used to, and still sometimes do, but a lot when I was a child, imagine that I had come here from some alien planet and just got dropped on planet Earth. And it seemed like a very strange place to me. But it was the only place that I really knew, so I just was looking and still do sometimes just look as if that alien perspective is just trying to figure out how everything works. Uh, particularly, how do these humans work? And it's interesting, this is sometimes uh, come on a retreat, just the, the commonality that we all share, that there are certain principles to the way we're wired, both physically and mentally, that are common to the human condition. And you can get a textbook on Gray's Anatomy or some medical books and have a fairly good um, predictability about what's going to happen when, when you do this or how to fix this particular ailment, that that's just how the machine works. And the same way with the mind, although we're not all in agreement in the same way that uh, uh, that the textbooks in physical medicine work about how to heal the mind or open it up or come to some sense of health and, and wholeness. And there's lots of different systems for that. But there's certain common qualities that we all share that are very interesting to explore and that are seen more and more clearly as we do the meditation. One model of understanding the mind is from the Buddhist psychology called Abhidhamma or Abhidharma, which sees our mental component as being made up of different mental factors, different um, qualities, emotions, movements of the heart or the mind. 52 of them. It's like the deck that you dealt. You know, you got a, a full deck. Only some of them, perhaps you'd prefer not to be part of the deck because some of them are greed and hatred and delusion and all sorts of 
of things that, um, that aren't so much fun when they appear strongly. Some of them are very wholesome, like love and compassion and generosity and various other ones that lead to feeling very happy and, and whole. Some of the, the qualities happen in each moment. They're not good, they're not bad, they just happen feeling, taking in a perception of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, uh, contact with the sense door, um, volition. And out of these 52 factors, the Buddha talked about seven of them in particular as factors of awakening or enlightenment. So I'd like to talk tonight about these factors so you understand a bit of how the meditation works to develop them and also how we can use our understanding of them to suffuse the practice and help it grow when something is a bit out of balance. When these factors come to a real depth and maturity, and when there is a sense of balance of these factors, it leads to this awakening. But you don't have to wait for that to happen before you develop them or have access to them. They're not quite as far-fetched as you might think. Oh, enlightenment. I'll never get those. They're right here, right now, and that's the beauty of the practice. It's just focusing and developing and strengthening certain qualities that I would think that probably everybody here has touched (coughs) for moments, if not longer, during this retreat, in all of these. The first of these factors of enlightenment is the one that you've been hearing throughout the retreat, and that is mindfulness. This is the practice of mindfulness. Mindfulness has some pretty extraordinary properties. It's very powerful in many ways. One thing is that it has the power to cultivate the other factors of enlightenment. That just in developing mindfulness, these other ones are strengthened and deepened. It also has the power to bring about the development of wholesome, other wholesome qualities of mind and of heart. When you're mindful, there is uh, an ability to let go. You're letting go when things are very pleasant and you can gracefully open them up and come in to meet the next moment. When you're truly mindful, you're not grasping. So in that quality of letting go as you're being mindful and not clutching, there is the development of generosity. When you're mindful 
and what's happening is not particularly pleasant, when you're truly mindful, you're letting it be how it is and you're not pushing it away. And so there is the development of openness, acceptance, or we could say love. That is, embracing the moment, allowing for it to be just as it is. And so it's very powerful in that ability to bring about wholesome qualities as well as these other factors. A second power of mindfulness is that it has the power of purification in the sense that unwholesome factors, things that confuse us or cause pain in our hearts, things that we don't like to look at in ourselves like hatred or judgment or um, anger or greed, all of these things, are undercut in the moment that you're mindful you cannot actually be experiencing an unwholesome quality. Now you might say, well, what does that mean? You know, if I'm mindful of anger, there's the anger and then and there's the mindfulness of it. They're both happening at the same time. But really that's that's not what's going on. What's happening is a moment of anger and then a moment of mindfulness that sees the anger and then the moment of anger again and then the moment of mindfulness and they're happening in very rapid succession. When you're truly opening up to the experience with an interest and an exploration and an openness so that it's really okay just how it is, in that moment you're not being angry and you're undercutting the momentum of that anger so each moment that you're mindful has the, the power to weaken that impulse and the strength of that quality. This is a very powerful purification process. Something else that mindfulness does is it brings about a balance to the system so that we're not lost in confusion and there's a sense of completion of resting in the moment when you're fully mindful there is a sense of rest and ease so that you're not reacting with grasping or pushing it away and that balance is a sense of peace perhaps you found it from time to time ah this is very very nice resting in this place just being present for what's here. I don't have to do anything to fix it. It also keeps things very simple. Rather than complicating things, many of us, and I know uh, myself included, have prided ourselves on how complex we can think. I mentioned this the other night. Mindfulness keeps things really simple. What's happening now? And there's a tremendous sense again, of balance and wholeness and unification in the moment that you're mindful. Mindfulness can look different ways at different times. It's been talked about, we've been giving instructions, and I just want to spend a few moments talking about the different 
kinds of mindfulness or the, the different ways they manifest, you can be mindful of anything. You can be mindful of the breath. You can be mindful of the body. You can be mindful of the feelings of pleasant and unpleasant and neutral. You can be mindful of changing qualities of experience. It doesn't really matter what you're paying attention to. Mindfulness is simply noticing what's here. Sometimes people think, oh, I should be on the breath more. And that's not so. You can be with physical sensations. You can be with feelings or emotions. You can be with sounds. And that's just as good a thing to be connected to, be aware of, be wakeful for as the breath. The breath is a very useful tool to establish and develop mindfulness so that then we can apply it to everything else. But the mindfulness itself can be on anything. Sitting, walking, brushing your teeth, going to the bathroom, eating your food. It's all the same. One moment is just as important as another. Another part of mindfulness that I just want to mention that sometimes people um, get, don't understand is that it has lots of different lenses, if you could use a visual I- image, of perception. That sometimes it's quite microscopic and you can notice very fine detail of experience. And that's exciting when that happens. You know, wow, look at that. Other times it can be quite global or wide angle, feeling a whole mood in your body. Oh, wow, I'm really lost. Ah, confusion, that's what's going on. That moment of mindfulness of confusion is just as powerful and important as the fine microscopic detail. So sometimes when people have that really fine careful attention and then it goes and they're just with a state of confusion or sluggishness or, uh, or an emotional reaction, there can be a tendency to think, oh, that's not as important or I'm not really doing the meditation now because I'm not in that crystal clarity. That's not so. It's simply another way to perceive your experience. The main idea of mindfulness is noticing what's happening without our reaction of how we think things should be, but just really connecting with it as it is. So this is the first quality, the first factor of enlightenment. The next group of factors, the next three, have to do with bringing energy there uplifting qualities to our practice and to our system. I'd like to go through them. The first one, or number two in this sequence of seven, is the quality of investigation. This is what I mentioned a little bit and has been mentioned throughout uh, the last few days. Sometimes we call it interest. Sometimes we call it curiosity. It's that exploring quality, not with our thoughts, oh, I wonder how this works, or why am I having 
this thought now, or gee, this is that same old physical tightness in my shoulder. Is that because when I was you know, 20, I had this trauma, and here it is again? It's not analyzing like that. It's simply letting ourselves perceive with a care and interest that's not figuring out. It's listening carefully. And it can also have different modes to it. It's really letting that quality of wonder, that childlike wonder that wants to discover, have free reign. Oh, I wonder what's going on. Not with, again, this figuring out idea, but just listening to see what the message is, what the, what the learning is. Because your body is telling you all sorts of things. Your heart can, can, share, can share with you all sorts of, of understandings, but not through the thinking mind. As I mentioned to somebody in, uh, in an interview today, there's a beautiful line from the Third Zen Patriarch. Stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. It's great. You don't have to figure it all out. Isn't that a relief? In fact, when you try to figure it out, it just gets in the way. Because there you are using your intellect and all you can end up doing when you get it right is say, "Uh uh-huh, see, I'm pretty clever. I knew it all the time. But in order to have an experience of insight, of "Uh aha, it means you're seeing something new in a new way, not with the thinking mind. Sometimes it's an active... Um, diving into an experience. Sometimes investigation can be more of a, of a relaxing into it, just getting an intuitive sense of connecting with your inner wisdom that says, ah, yeah, okay, let me feel this. And the answers or the, the understanding or the awareness just comes on its own when you're willing to take a look or feel or receive it. Sometimes it's hard to get interested in something that seems kind of boring, like the breath when you first come here. The breath, in and out, in and out, okay. In and out, in and out. I just was watching this last hour. It's still here, in and out, in and out. And it doesn't seem like a whole lot of entertainment is going to happen. Usually, we like to pay attention when we're entertained, or when it's fun, or when there's a whole lot of uh, sparks or a good show going on. And we're very conditioned with that in our lives outside. So we go to the movies, or watch TV, or go to the theater, or get in some kind of intense drama, Even that can be entertaining. But when you come here, it takes a little bit of trust and patience to see that something as simple as the breath can be quite entertaining, can be quite consuming, in fact. Have you noticed it? Have you you gotten into a sitting sometimes where it was just the breath breathing itself and it was so complete? neat when that happens. 
But it takes a little while for that to happen because, you know, we're not used to looking in that way. Sometimes you have to trick yourself and act as if things are going to be interesting. <laughs> it's true. I, I went to, uh, to school with a friend who we had gone through high school together and then, then uh, went to college too. And we, we had about the same academic level in high school. We both, we didn't try all that hard. Got pretty good marks, but didn't try all that hard. Because uh, it was kind of playing it safe for me. You know, if I don't try too hard and I don't do, and I do okay, well, that's pretty neat. But what happens if I really tried and didn't do well? And it was a little bit, I think, frightening, so I held myself back a bit. But this friend who went to college, he just took off and he graduated with really high honors. And I, I asked him one time, I said, Joe, how is it that you just, you know, have done what you've done in college? You know, when we had about the same ha uh, academic habits in high school. And he said, well, you know, I kind of play a trick with myself at the beginning of each course, you know, whether it's statistics or organic chemistry or something like that. And I say, this guy or this woman who's, who's teaching has devoted their whole life to this subject. They must find something interesting in it. And I'm going to find out what it is. And the first few classes, I just say, okay, what does this person find in this? And I just dive into the material. And after a while, it kind of gets easier and more interesting. So I kind of act as if. I said, wow, that's really far out. He told me this at the end of our college career. <laughs> it didn't help me much, but it was been a, it's been a very good lesson since then. Sometimes you have to pretend as if it were interesting. And lo and behold, the more you look, the more you see. And the more you see, the more interesting it gets. And the more interesting it gets, the more fun it is to look. It's just the way it is. So if you find yourself not particularly interested in the breath, just pretend it's interesting for a little while. Just pretend this step that you're taking is interesting. Sometimes I have the attitude that I'm taking my very first breath. I've never taken this breath before. Just imagine you've just come out of the womb and are about to take your first breath. Can you be there for it? Just imagine this breath right now. Just tune into it. This is it, your very beginning. Amazing. And here we are. Or this is your last breath about to come and go. That gets you interested. <laughs> so you can play around. Whatever will bring about the interest. Not that you want to create a project every single time you sit. But just a few little tricks to heighten the, uh, the awareness. Or when you're walking, the first time you've ever stepped, wow, what goes on? There's all this balancing and stretching of muscles and putting down the foot. There's a lot that goes on. It can be fun that way. So you can bring a spirit of playfulness to it. You can get very, very... Um, in your investigation. Sometimes, when you're on the breath, 
and you really feel connected with it, it can be mechanical. Oh yeah, in, out, in, out. But you're really there with it. At that point, see what would happen if you try to discover something that you've never seen about the breath before. Every single breath is different. Every single one. Sometimes it comes in in waves, sometimes in puffs, sometimes in swirls, sometimes smooth, sometimes in segments. Every single one is different. It's never been here before. Take a careful look. And as you look with that care, the mindfulness deepens because investigation makes you see things more clearly. Sometimes you might not be at that level of breath. You can't force it. So it's more getting a sense of where your level of perception is at. Same thing with the steps. Same thing with the sensation. When you're really here, keep on looking because there's always more to discover. It's fascinating. I can remember one time in my practice after about five years of of doing this and a a couple of three-month retreats and uh, lots of shorter retreats, walking into an interview, this whole new uh, way of seeing things came to me or just, just was happening in the practice. And I, I turned to my teacher and I said, it's like I never saw this before. What have I been doing these last five years? You know, I don't know what, but this is really amazing. And he said, yeah, and it's like the tip of the iceberg he said, that's, that's what he feels every time he goes into retreat, like the tip of the iceberg. And I took that to heart. You know, at first, you can get very discouraged if you think, oh my goodness, how little I know. You know when am I going to get it all? But it's really exciting to think how much there is to discover. It's all here for us to just check it out. What better thing to do with our, with our life than just find out what life is about? What motivates you? What motivates you to pay attention? It might be curiosity. It might be interest. It might be inspiration. It might be faith that there's some value to doing this. It might be some kind of urge for freedom or for freedom from suffering or whatever it is. What motivates you to keep on looking? And use that to keep on exploring. Anything can be interesting. The breath, steps. When I was a kid, one thing I, I used to do a lot was um, look at sunlight coming through the window. And maybe you did this too. And if you look really carefully and there's the dust particles dancing around, I used to look at that for a long time. Just, wow, what's going on in there? And if somebody would ask what I was doing, and I'd say, oh, I'm looking at dust, it doesn't sound very exciting. But when you take care, when you keep on looking, there's a whole show going on. It's like upping the, the magnification of, of the microscope. So it's really fun. And again, as you do it more, things get more interesting. Next quality is... Another energizing quality, in fact, it's the quality of energy, or sometimes 
uh, talked about as effort. It really helps to do this practice when your energy is, is up. It helps to do it when your energy is down as well, but when you've got a lot of energy, you're so much more present. You can take things in, you can be a, a space for everything to, to happen and not get so raw or sensitive or reactive. Mindfulness brings about energy because, again, as you become more clear about what's happening, then you start to open up to your experience. And as you're less reactive to things, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, it frees up that energy of reactivity. And so it, it gives you more at your, uh, at your resource to use for the practice. Energy. Where does it come from? Well, it comes generally from putting in a wholehearted effort. Because if you lay back and say, well, I'll be mindful when it happens. You know, if it comes, it comes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. You might be hanging around a long time waiting for mindfulness to come. Mindfulness comes from the effort to be mindful, from the effort to pay attention. The effort doesn't have to be a strain or a struggle. In fact, it's counterproductive when you try too hard. It just doesn't work. I'm going to be mindful if it kills me, you know, which it might you know, if you have that attitude. It's more a strong commitment and intention, but there's a kind of ease to it as well. The image that Jack mentioned that's, that's mentioned in the, in the texts is tuning an instrument, a stringed instrument, you can't get it too tight. It won't get the right note. If it's too loose, also, you don't get the right pitch. But just the right amount of tension and you get the desired note. The same with our energy. Sometimes it's too tight. Then it needs to just soften a bit. Sometimes it's too lax. Then you need to turn things up a notch. And since energy is always changing, it's not like you land in the right amount and say, oh, this is how much I'm supposed to do. Because sometimes you're bright, sometimes you're tired and fatigued. Always changing. So it's a constant kind of checking in and seeing what will help me be really here. Good way to, to check out is in your body. As Gil was mentioning, if you're really contracted, that's a clue. If you're really sluggish, that's another clue. Sometimes people equate energy or effort by what their practice looks like. Oh, I'm really uh, lost in a lot of feelings right now. My effort probably isn't correct. That's not so. Or I'm spacing out. I'm really uh, uh, having a lot of wandering in my mind. I must not be doing it right. That's not so. Rather than judging what your practice, the amount of effort you're putting into practice by what the results are, just get in touch with your sincerity. Do you have an intention to be here and bring yourself back each time you've gone? This is where your effort comes from. It comes from your intention, from your sincerity, from your heart. It looks, the practice looks 
all things at all different times. And there's no way you can tell whether it's going well or it's not going well or uh, you should be doing things differently by the way your mind or your body is cooperating or not cooperating. That is all out of your control, completely out of your control. The only thing that you need to concern yourself with is the intention and the effort to be here. And as you bring your attention more here, the whole practice deepens and opens up. And as you've seen probably over the last few days, your energy level is probably a lot different than it was the first or second day. That's the amazing thing. Have you noticed perhaps a little less sluggishness? Perhaps a little bit more brightness? Not that it goes linearly, it just goes up and down, but generally in a direction of, um, of opening. There's an opening process to energy. Sometimes people feel all sorts of buzzings in their body that they hadn't felt before. You're opening up to ener- energies in your, in your system. So that's this factor, another arousing factor, energy or effort. Next one is that of joy or rapture. This is truly one of the factors of enlightenment. In case you've been wondering, a lot of time, a couple of people in the last last day or so said, "Is there any joy in this practice?" You know, people don't talk about joy, and they say it. A couple of people have said they just feel so open and filled and grateful and coming home. But where's the joy in the practice? <laughs> you know, not realizing it's right there. You guys don't talk about joy. You're feeling it from the inside. You don't have to be told, oh, this is a happy practice. It comes, you discover it on your own from the inside. It actually happens that as you become more complete with your experience, that there's a fullness that starts to open up. The energy that develops turns into a very vibrating quality. And sometimes people see lights and sometimes they feel like they're filled with, with space or, or sun. And sometimes they feel such profound depth of, of inspiration. Sometimes there's just a real fascination with life around them. And there's the syndrome, perhaps you've experienced it uh, since you've been here, of walking around and just seeing everything grow. Have you, have you watched the cactus grow? Wow. Have you felt the life coming from it? You know, maybe you haven't noticed the needles move, but you can feel life coming. This is this, this quality of connection and wholeness and, and joy. It's really wonderful when it happens. If you don't have this happening in your practice, I don't want you to feel discouraged. You're not doing anything wrong. These things come and go. And the, the tricky part is when they come, not to get attached to them because it's so easy to say, oh, far out, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what the practice is all about. And then when you sit down and it doesn't come the next time, you feel, oh, I lost it. Where did it go? And that's not it. Whatever experience you have, you can be sure will pass away. So it's not to say, 
oh, how do I make this thing happen again? But just to use those experiences as a source of faith and inspiration. Wow, something is going on here. But if you just chalk up all these curious phenomena to interesting experiences, oh, that's interesting. Wow. And then let it go. It will be much more productive in in the meditation. Rapture or joy is sometimes called keen interest in the object. Keen interest or uh, bright energy. And sometimes it can be so bright that it's a little bit unpleasant. Your system can be overwhelmed. It can be scary. You can have all sorts of creepy, crawly things happening. And although you wouldn't think that that is uh, rapture, that's another definition of rapture. All sorts of strange things start happening as the energy becomes very intense. So not to think that you're doing something wrong either. When the rapture comes or feelings of deep joy or, or bliss come, just note them. Joy, joy, joy. Bliss, bliss, bliss. But note them with a kind of neutrality because you can really get into dreamy, uh, deliciously drinking it up. Ah, joy, 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 yeah, joy, joy, more joy. Not like that. Just joy. Joy, joy. It doesn't take away from your feeling it. Actually, you can be more connected with it when you say it that way than when you get lost in the thoughts about the joy. You can stay right here and feel it. And even when it starts getting into something that's a little bit less pleasant, like those creepy crawlies, ah, okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. (laughs) creepy crawly or whatever it is, So each of these last three have to do with arousing qualities. The investigation, the effort or energy, and the joy or rapture. And there's the mindfulness that we began with. The next three factors are qualities of stillness. Three different tones of stillness that bring about a sense of um, of calm to the system, of, of settledness to the system. That I, I like to use the word stillness. The first one is the factor of calm or tranquility. It's, it's a settled kind of stillness. Just that quieting, peaceful, there's a certain well-being in the body. Sometimes people come in and it's It's so profound, this sense of calm. Ah, I haven't felt this way before. I haven't truly come to rest. And it's quite amazing. But calm doesn't necessarily mean mindfulness. In fact, calm is different from mindfulness. You can be quite calm, but not be mindful. You can just be enjoying that sense of ease and peace without being really clear about what's happening. So, not to get lost in the calm. Again, just note it. Calm, calm, 
calm. And you can enjoy it. Joy, joy, joy. But not to get lost in that dream-like quality because there's a kind of dullness that can happen if you just let yourself sink into it without a sense of brightness or energy. Sometimes calm can be so unusual that people don't even realize it's enjoyable. It seems boring. People, some people can equate stimulation with aliveness. And when it starts to get really quiet and calm, they think, oh my goodness, you know, well, what am I supposed to pay attention to here? So for some people, it might take a little bit of practice to just let yourself feel that sense of settled stillness of calm. The next factor is that of concentration. That kind of stillness is a focused stillness, an unwavering stillness that starts to sharpen and hone into what's happening in a very one-pointed way. That quality of concentration, or samadhi as it's sometimes called, has the ability to stay with what's happening, either connecting with one object, like the breath, in, out, in, out, or it can also be a concentration that goes from object, from one experience to another, a moment-to-moment concentration. So you can be sitting there and feel the breath, in, out, And then all of a sudden, notice a sound, hearing, 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 and then a sensation emerges, feeling tightness, 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 and then you notice a thought, thinking, thinking, and then in, out. And that is a very powerful kind of concentration, Vipassana concentration, where you are connected to the present moment. It's a changing experience that you're tuned into, but that is a very profound and important quality of concentration. So if, you, if it seems like a lot is happening and you seem to be all over the map, here's this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, it doesn't mean that you're scattered or that you're restless. It might mean that you're noticing more parts of your experience, more and more and more, and the concentration is getting deeper in order for you to notice all of these different aspects of your experience. Concentration can be tricky. It can be so elusive. You know, This is the thing often that people long for on retreat. Okay. I can put in the effort, I can even be mindful for a few moments, but how do I get really concentrated? And there can be a real attachment to concentration. Concentration, again, is really out of your control. The more you try to grasp it, the more elusive it seems. What it seems that's very helpful for concentration 
to develop is a sense of patience. Not trying to hurry the process, but having a genuine commitment to be here and bring yourself back each time you wander. There's a a formula for the development of the practice with some of these factors. Out of a sense of faith in the practice, you make the effort to be mindful. When you make the effort to be mindful, the mindfulness becomes more strengthened. As the mindfulness gets stronger, the more moments of mindfulness, that momentum of mindfulness kicks into concentration. And out of the concentration, you see things more clearly, and there is the wisdom. So where you can enter into that equation is to bring energy and willingness to be mindful and let the process take care of the rest. It's so much of a relief to realize that you don't have to make concentration happen. You can just put in the intention to be here. Whatever happens within that will happen. But the key to concentration, as we've mentioned in the last couple of days, is continuity. Because the more moments of mindfulness there are, the more that concentration starts to develop. So that's why it's so helpful as you get up from a sitting to be there with that. As you put on your shoes to make that a meditation. As you brush your teeth to reach. Reaching, unscrewing, squeezing, putting, brushing. That moment is just as profound and important as sitting on your cushion and breathing. It's simply another moment of life. We arbitrarily say, okay, follow the breath here. And you call that meditation. It's no more profound than brushing your teeth. As you can make the whole practice an exercise in mindfulness and keep that continuity going, then the whole practice deepens dramatically. As was said here, one day of noting everything, you'll notice a tremendous difference in it. An image that I found helpful is was given to, to, to me when I started on retreats is that of putting a, a kettle on the stove to, watch it, to, to get it to boil. If you keep on taking it off, every 30 seconds it won't boil. But if you leave it on, even if sometimes the, the, the flame is lower and sometimes it's higher, if you leave it on, it'll start to cook. So that's where it's so helpful to keep the practice going no matter what. Each time you see that you've wandered off, you've got a choice. Oh, shall I just go off a little bit or shall I come back to here? And every time you make that choice in the direction of coming back to here, it's one more moment of mindfulness and it also conditions the likelihood that you'll have that response the next time you notice you wander off. Each time you choose the other, oh, I don't really want to be mindful. Not that you're being bad, but it's simply that those moments of unmindfulness get strengthened and the likelihood that you will choose that way the next time also gets strengthened. So every moment in the encounter with the wandering mind is another opportunity to go 
in the direction of mindfulness. And as I said, that's what develops the concentration. Concentration is elusive. It comes and goes. You can get really confused if you feel, oh, wow, I'm really here now. I really got it. And then you lose it. You don't have to worry about that. On one retreat, I I went through this process. It was very confusing for a few weeks. Every time I got concentrated, I got nervous. And I didn't quite know why, but I would run to the teacher and say, uh, I think I, I'm going to need an interview soon because I'm getting concentrated. Yeah. You know, he gave me an interview, okay. But I, I couldn't quite understand until I started seeing that what would happen is I'd get concentrated and I'd enjoy it for a little while and then it would start to lessen and I'd try to keep it here and then it would seem to go and I'd get really frustrated and confused and uh, the whole practice seemed like it was you know, going to, going to pot and I'd let go and I'd say, oh, forget this. And then, boom, I'd get concentrated again when I'd stop trying. And it w- I was going up and down like a yo-yo for for a couple of weeks, not realizing that I was subtly holding on to the concentration or hoping that it would stay. It's really out of your control. You just be here and feel it when it's here and make the intention to bring yourself back when you've gone. So, calm, concentration, and then the last one is equanimity. The last of the stilling factors. Calm, a settled kind of stillness. Concentration, a focused stillness. And equanimity is a kind of spacious stillness. That is a non-reactivity of mind where anything can come, anything can go, pleasant or unpleasant, and it's okay, what we've talked about earlier. You can let go of the drama in one moment, as soon as you realize you're making a drama about it. Oh, God, my meditation's really starting to get confusing now. And in just one moment of seeing, ah, okay, here's confusion, it's okay. It's creating a bigger container for it all, holding it in a spacious way. That's a balanced mind. That's not grasping, that's not pushing away. And as I I said before, one helpful reminder or truth with equanimity that lets you open up to it and just be with it as it is, is knowing that as difficult as this moment is, it passes. Or as wonderful as this moment is, it will pass. So there's no holding on to your experience. You can't control it. No need to control it. It's just the way it is. And you can be here for the ride. It's like sitting in a theater and watching the show. Ah, interesting. And now here's a tragedy. Okay, you pay good money to see a a tragedy, Shakespearean tragedy. And here's a comedy. Ah, fantastic. Here's a melodrama. And here's uh, uh, a tender moment. The show is always changing, you know. And you're the star of it and you're the observer but you're not the scriptwriter. it's just happening on its own it's happening in 3D and 
smell-o-vision and everything. And here you are, and it's just here for you to open up to. So, these are the various factors of enlightenment. Seven factors of enlightenment. The mindfulness, and then the three arousing qualities of investigation and energy and joy, and then the three stilling qualities, calm, concentration, equanimity. And there's a balance there. The mindfulness is the thing that balances those two groups. You can consciously check in and see if your practice is off one way or another, particularly around concentration and energy. That's, those are things to, to focus on. If your energy is, is too much, all right, the concentration and the focus will help to quiet down, or the calm can help to quiet down as well, or the equanimity. If it's too spacious and still, then you might need to generate with some investigation or with some effort or bring about some, some joy, some lightness to your experience. So you can consciously add any one of these factors. You can just say to yourself, ah, interest, and it can be here. Oh, calm. Take a few breaths and here it is. It's a lot more available than you might think. The power of mindfulness is that it naturally balances all of those factors as well as developing them. It's not arousing. It's not quieting. It's just receptive and alert. It has both of those components. So that's why every moment of mindfulness counts. Every single moment is bringing these qualities that create the possibility of real peace and real awakening and real freedom in the mind and in the heart. So, let's spend a few moments doing that together.
So as you go for the walking, get a sense of, of these different factors and notice if there's something that perhaps you can call on in your practice that's been uh, a little bit weaker. Just call on it. Just call it forth. As you go through the next few days, get a sense of where you're out of balance and just call on that energy. And know that every single moment that you're mindful, you're also developing these factors. Every moment counts. So again, uh, tonight there'll be a, a late night sitting. And um, so from about 10 to 10 to about 10.20, if you have the energy, if it's starting to build up, come and sit together. It's really uh, quite interesting. Thank you.